Good morning. My name is Bill Stafiri. If you are new to our church in the last three weeks, let me introduce myself. I haven't been here. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at, at Beach Point Fountain Valley and excited to, to jump into week two of our series, uh, Who is My Neighbor? So let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10 in a Bible. If you have one, if you don't have one, there's one in front of you. And it's a great passage to follow along in, page 1040. And uh, we're, we're thinking through this idea uh, of how do we live out faithfully the command to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And as we begin to go through this, one of the things I want to draw your attention to in the bulletin, uh, we have some, some tools to help you on the back page of your notes. There's some uh, ways, some exercises to help you kind of process some questions and things like that. If you're, uh, we want to encourage any of you that have uh, kids in your home to take this uh, this gold sheet home and to work through it as a family. There's, there's, uh, as you think through this series together, there's ways for you to think through some, some questions and some things that to, to grow in knowledge, but also uh, to wrestle with feelings and some activities that you can practice as families to reinforce. We want to we wanna help you uh, and equip you and empower you as parents to take that primary role in your kids' lives and, and uh, help develop this uh, we can do so much in, in an hour or so on Sunday, but you can do so much more in your time at home uh, with your kids. And so uh, take this home, and uh, it'll be a great tool for you to use. Uh, now, uh, one of the things I, I think that's cool, in the, just to help you understand a little bit of the spirit of what we're trying to do, is in the artwork. If you look at the artwork uh, of the graphic, it's, up, it's right here behind you. You can look at your bulletin. Uh, but there's, there's kind of, I love where our artists came up with, because if you look at the red door, in early America, the red door was a symbol of hospitality. It was a symbol to travelers uh, uh, that, uh, of hospitality, of, uh, of an open door. And in fact, I love even the picture of uh, the way that the door is open while other doors are closed. And that's what we're trying to think through. How do, in essence, do we open the door of our lives to those who are in need? How do we love others as we love ourselves. I don't know about you, but I, I make a lot of sacrifices for myself. I love myself. I, I do a lot of things for myself. And, and this is a very challenging teaching to love others in the same way that I love myself or that the way you love yourself. And so uh, as we think of this, we, one of the things that we struggle with sometimes is we don't actually recognize uh, things going on, people that are in need. So I want to give you an awareness test to see how, how you do with this. Just kind of test. I know it's early in the morning. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning. So I'm going to give you an awareness test. Some of you have done this before, but I want you to count the number of basketball passes that go on in this video. If you, if you know the answer, just stay quiet. But watch this video, follow the instructions, and see how aware you are, how well you can follow things, Okay. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. How many have you got it? But... Did you see the moonwalking bear? Rewatch. Go! 
I love that line. It's easy to miss something you're not looking for. Uh, It's easy to miss something you're not looking for. And that's one of the things that we want to see today in the teaching of Jesus. uh, It's because we're we're walking, try to walk a little deeper in this teaching. So we asked the question, or, uh, you know, the the question we saw last week is, is uh, what's the most important commandment? And he says to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. So let's, let's make it personal. Do you love God? You're thinking, wow, that is rather personal. Deep down inside, do I love God? Uh, okay, and you're thinking, yeah, I think I do. I think I love God. Well, do you love your neighbor? Now, many of us are starting to think, well, that depends. <laughs> Who's my neighbor? Is it my neighborhood? Is it my city? Is it Huntington Beach? Is it Fountain Valley? Is it Orange County? Is it the United States? Is it the world? And you're coming to the conclusion, I guess it matters what do you mean by neighbor? And I, and I want you to wrestle with that tension because in truth, that was the very same question that was posed to Jesus 2,000 years ago. And Jesus gave an answer to that question. And, and I want to give you a big idea that will shape the rest of our time. So I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you a statement that we can look at and then we'll try to look at this passage and, and see if this is right and true. And if so, how do we respond to it? But, uh, our big idea this morning is this. As we think about be the art of neighboring and loving our neighbors, that your neighbor is anyone in need within your reach. Anyone in need within your reach. That's your neighbor. You're thinking, well, gosh, that might be a lot of people. I can't help everyone. You're right, but you can help someone. You can help someone that God has placed in your reach. Maybe it's, it is because of proximity, they're, they work with you. They live on your street. They are, uh, they're in your family. Uh, or maybe it's because they're within your reach of resource. You could support a kid $30 a month, or you could do whatever it is. There are things within our reach, and we want to look at this a little bit. I love uh, one of my favorite preachers, a guy named Haddon Robinson. He says this. He says, my neighbor is anyone whose need I see and whose need God has put me in a position to meet. He's put me in a position to meet. Now, one of the things that we did last week, if you weren't here last week, let me show you. On the back of your sheet, uh, your note sheet, is what's called a neighbor map. And we encourage you to, uh, to kind of a homework assignment was to fill this out. Your house in the center and think about your literal neighbors. Okay, the people who live on your street. Or maybe you would make it your cubicle map. You know, you think of your work spot, and you know, here's, here, here's me, and here's the people who work around me. Or you're a student, here's my desk map. Here's where I sit, and these are the students that sit around me. And the first challenge was, this is just the first challenge, do you know the names of those boxes around you, of those eight people? Now, this was, I think, one of the most interesting things. You can even fill it out right now if you want. One of the most interesting things, I've been reading a, a, a lot of books this summer. Three different books that I came across mentioned this very exercise Great theologians, great people of God. And they all said this was one of the most convicting exercises they've ever done because they realized that they did not know their neighbors. And so we want to encourage you to think about this very thing. So we're going to look at a passage. It is probably one of the most familiar passages in the Bible. You've probably at least heard of it. Many of you have read it. Some of you have studied it. And here's what I want to encourage you. Today... 
ask God, just whisper to God, would you just say something fresh to me? Say something fresh. Just as we had that posture of open hands, of open heart, would you just say almost in the same way, Lord, help me hear something fresh today. Okay, so Luke 10, let's start at verse 25. We'll jump in it. We're going to break it down a little bit and we'll talk about some responses to it. So it begins this way. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now stop there for a second. We, we have this moment where here's this expert in the scriptures comes. He wants to test Jesus. Maybe he wants to kind of feel out how, how strong of an expert is it. Maybe he wants to build his reputation a little bit. But he asks a very significant question, a question all of us think about. What do I need to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to be right with God? And notice kind of the restraint Jesus shows, but the way he then engages. There's kind of a trap in this question. Jesus knows how to hold back. He engages. He asks the man, what does the law say? And he gives a reply. Jesus responds, do this and you will live. In essence, Jesus is saying, do this. Keep doing this. This is the kind of the life that you should live. Love God. Love others as yourself. But notice in verse 29 what the, the, the expert wanted to do. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to appear righteous before the crowd and before everyone. So we asked this question, who is my neighbor? Now this is a significant question of that day. The Jews were, were kind of wrestling with this idea of whose neighbor? How far out does this answer go? Is it us? Is it, is it uh, and, and significant to this conversation was where did the Samaritans fit in? Now, the Samaritans were maybe a, a, a way of thinking about it. So you had, uh, in previous times, uh, Jews who were invaded, and they kind of, uh, there was uh, intermarrying, and, and so you had kind of a half-Jewish, half-Samaritan kind of race. There, there was just hatred between them. They were kind of viewed, in fact, the way, one way that you would refer to a Samaritan is you would refer to them, they referred to them as a dog. Uh, there was just hatred. There was uh, different theology, different uh, practices. And so the idea of who is my neighbor and really thinking whether or not a Samaritan was your neighbor was significant. So Jesus does something interesting. Notice he's asking this question. And rather than give an answer, notice what Jesus does. He tells a story. Jesus tells a story. He says, in reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, Jesus does something interesting. He connects the audience to something real and concrete. They would have known that pass. That was a significant pass. It's about a 17-mile walk. There's a, you would descend about 3,000 feet during that time. It was a very uh, significant walk. Lots of caves, lots of dark spots, lots of, of danger. It was known to be hazardous, known for thieves, known for robbers. And so even the pass that he's talking about, there was a part of it literally called the pass of blood. So many people had been jumped and robbed and killed there that they called it the pass of blood. It was known to that. It, was, it had a reputation that even all the way up to 1930. I mean, it's a significant place to think of. So it's even interesting what Jesus is doing. Think of the point he's kind of making. 
So there's a guy, probably not thinking through it, goes on a dangerous trip. He causes kind of, in some ways, he's entered into the trouble himself. In some ways, it's his fault. And sometimes that's our thought, right? Well, why is it my responsibility to help this person? They're the ones, it's their fault that they got into this trouble in the first place. They need to find their way out of it. We'll come back to that. So Jesus continues the story. He says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So we stop here for a second. And and Jesus, the first two that come along the side, the first is the priest. The priest is the highest of the Jewish religious officials uh, that comes along. And he says, coincidentally, he's walking down the same road. And it seems to, kind of the assumption as scholars have looked at it is, is that probably for religious reasons, the priest passed by on the other side. In the Old Testament law, if a priest touched a dead body, he would be ceremonially uh, defiled. Uh, and so he doesn't know, is this man dead? Is he, if I go over and start helping him, he dies in my arms and I'm unclean. Then I've got to go through all the rites and the processes and what are people going to think about me? So at the heart of this, then, the priest wants a good thing, right? He wants to keep the law. He wants to remain holy. He wants to be right. We can relate with that, right? We can relate with the idea that sometimes we refrain from going to certain places or being around certain people in an effort to remain holy. Not sure what people will think of us if we get involved with certain efforts or certain people. And so the safe thing to do is protect our reputation, protect holiness, and avoid the difficult situation. Think about how Jesus is making the situation. All those people standing there very uncomfortable. And wanting to keep the law, the priest made an effort not only to pass by, but to walk by on the other side of the road. Now, second, he says there's a Levite. If we thought of the priest maybe as the the senior pastor, so Pastor Bill passes by on the other side. The Levite's the associate pastor. Pastor Jason also passes by on the other side. The the Levite was uh, an assistant. He he carried scrolls. He helped things in ministry happen. So part of the point is, if you were going to make a list of who who in our culture are good neighbors, your list would have looked something like this. Priests, Levites, my mom, And then whatever else you had there, right? I mean, that's the way it would look. And as he uh, uh, makes this, uh, looking at this, what we see again, fear, embarrassment, helplessness, all these things seem to make it where there's a, a rationalizing of why we can pass by. Now, there's no doubt, it seems that probably the way that Jesus is telling the story, he's kind of hinting at, maybe they're in a hurry to do God's work. The priest has got to do God's work. The Levite's got to do God's work. They've got to get through. If they, if, if they stop, they might not get to that, that speaking engagement, that ministry engagement. He's made it very tense, but now he makes it incredibly uncomfortable. But, he says, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now, if the priest and the Levite were at the very top of your list of candidates to be a good neighbor, 
the Samaritan was not only at the bottom, he wasn't even on the first page. He was at the last page in the smallest lettering you could write. You didn't even want to write it. You kind of just blurred it there and kind of knew that's where it was. That's, that's how far down the list the Samaritan was. And notice what Jesus says as he talks about this. He says he, he, he makes him the, the hero of the story. And everyone's listening and everyone's shuddering at this idea. But he says, now this Samaritan, though, he came down, he was filled with pity. It's interesting that it's the way that Jesus is described many times when he ministers to the outcast and the person in need. It says that he would be moved with compassion, right? Remember when he came, there's a, a leper who comes and says, Jesus moved with compassion, reached and touched him. Or Jesus looking out over Jerusalem was moved with compassion. He saw them as, as sheep without a shepherd. They were helpless. They were harassed. It, it, it means to, be, to feel it in your gut. You ever felt it in your gut where you see something that so moves you emotionally that you can actually feel, feel it physically in your gut? And this is what it, he says. He, he, he got down off. He, he was moved. He felt something. And he took oil to soothe and heal the wounds. He took wine to cleanse the wounds. He picked the man up. He placed him on his donkey. He took him into the inn. And all night long, he sat next to him, cleaning and dressing his wounds, making sure that he would be okay. And Jesus says the next day he took out two denarii, which would have been a day's wage. So think of how much you make in a day. And that person, he, he took two days worth. He gave it to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And when I return on my way back, I will reimburse you if it costs you anything extra, any extra expense that you have. And so he paid the innkeeper. His plan is to return, handle any additional expenses. And then Jesus asks us the question today, just as he asked them then. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Notice that the expert of the law can't even say the word Samaritan. He has to say the one who had mercy. And Jesus' words to him and to the crowd are the same words that penetrate our hearts today. And so let's think about uh, two things. Two important things, and then we'll, we'll kind of end with one, one important uh, application. But the first thing we see this is our neighbor is anyone in need, no matter who they are or what they believe. Jesus is saying your neighbor is anybody in need, absolutely anyone, no matter who they are or what they believe. And the first way we tend to limit neighboring is we try to limit uh, our neighbor to people who are like me. Or people I like, my friends, my family, my safe circle. And the expert of the law is trying to define neighbor and he's trying to kind of choose. He wants to be able to choose who his neighbor could be. And Jesus pushes that out. And Jesus says, love anyone in trouble, even when they believe something different than you. Jews and Samaritans had different beliefs, different beliefs about who the Messiah was and how it would work. They had different beliefs about worship. They hated each other. They despised each other. They wanted to see the demise of each other. And notice the way that Jesus brings them together in this, this powerful story. Let, let, let's, let's change it uh, for our common day. 
And I'll just use this as an example, not trying to say anything beyond an example. Um, There's been a lot of uh, uh, Republican debates going on right now. So imagine they invite Jesus to come and speak at the Republican convention. He says, hey, let me give you a vision. Here's the vision. And he starts telling this story. And he says, you know, you fall down and you get beaten up and you're left for dead. Donald Trump comes by, but he passes on the other side. Ben Carson comes by and he passes on the other side. But then comes this black limo and out steps President Obama. And you're thinking, no, let me die. And he's like, no, no. Uh, and he comes and he nurses your wounds. He puts you in the car and he puts you in a hotel and he sits with you all night. And then he asks the question, who's the neighbor in the story? They can't even say the name, right? They're just like the one who showed mercy. Right. What if we were like that? What if, what if that's what we were like? And you could switch it, right? You could turn it the other way around on any political situation. Right? Charger fans, you're lying dead in the road there. Peyton Manning passes by. Chiefs fan passes by. Raider fan comes, picks you up, punches you a couple times, stabs you. Uh, no. Raider fan picks you up, takes you in. Who was the neighbor? Who was the neighbor? Mm, The one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy, right? This is challenging. This should make you really, really uncomfortable. And we look at this, and we recognize that many of us have difficult time loving people who are different than us. We get uncomfortable with what, what's going on in their lives. We push away people instead of welcoming them, instead of loving them, instead of walking with them in their transformation. Uh, forgetting the fact that we were in a very similar place, that God has been very patient in transform, transforming our life. Now, my friend Wayne Gordon, we, we affectionately call him Coach, uh, he writes this in his book. He says, My neighbor is someone hurting who needs help who cannot help themselves, who appears on my path, who has been robbed, who is half dead, who is naked, who is unable to ask for help, of a different race, who is a stranger, who has been stripped, who is a foreign traveler, who has been beaten up, who might require me to risk, who can't walk, who looks horrible, who is a different religion, who is destitute, who is a victim of injustice, who has been passed by, who can't say thank you, who has been wounded, whom nobody wants to help, who is lonely, who will cost me some time, who is visible, who is a victim, who has been violated, who is vulnerable, who is a human being, who feels humiliated, who feels helpless, who is poor, who is someone I'm afraid to help, who is dangerous to help, who is discouraged, who might cost me money, who needs tender, loving care, who feels defeated, and who is someone I am able to help. Scott McKnight writes in his, in his book, A Fellowship of Difference, he says, Who is your neighbor? He says, What I have seen in churches who ask that question and are genuinely willing to answer is nothing less than new creation freedom to go places never seen, to welcome people never embraced, and to create a thriving, challenging fellowship of difference, one exasperating sinner after another. And Jesus teaches us that our neighbor is anybody in need, no matter who they are or what they believe. 
Now, Jesus also teaches us that loving your neighbor will cost you something. It will cost you something. But notice that the the cost is not the concern for the Samaritan. Mercy is the concern of the Samaritan. Justice is the concern of the Samaritan. And so he cleans the man's wounds with his own supplies. At his own cost, he bandages him. He puts him up in an inn. He covers the expenses of of three days, that that day and two more days. Uh, Like a doctor with one patient, he's focused on um, In fact, we see in the early church this unique way in which they would sacrifice. They would give up. In fact, if you read Acts 2 or Acts 4, it says that those who had gave away so that they made sure that no one was in need. People recognized we don't have to live in such luxury. We need to, what's more important is that we learn to take care of those that God has placed in our, our, around us. They met the needs at costly sacrifice to themselves. And what it did was it astonished the world. The world around them Ask, why are you like this? Let's think of this practically for us. There's a single mom in your neighborhood. She needs help with childcare. How could you help? Helping babysit, it's going to cost you time. Okay, it's going to cost you energy, of which you don't have a lot of. Maybe one of your neighbors goes through surgery and you recognize, you know what, it's going to be hard on their family the next few days. We should probably prepare some meals for them. It's going to take time. It's going to take money. It's going to take energy. It's kind of a bold move to say, hey, we just were thoughtful. We thought this might be helpful for your family. You're at school or at work and you realize kind of one of your desk neighbors is kind of the outcast of the office or in the classroom. And you decide, you know what? Instead of ignoring once again, I'm going to invite this person to have lunch with me. It may cost you your reputation. It may cost you your time and some energy. But, but what we all have to be prepared for is that it will cost us something. Now, Matthew, you want to hand me a skip jar? So on your way out today, this is just a, a simple tool. We, we want to encourage you, grab what's called a skip jar. And the, the idea of the skip jar is very simple. Figure out if there are things in your life you can skip the money you would have spent on it, place inside the jar, and have it ready and willing to help your neighbor. Now, it might be some of the things that we're going to do here. We have uh, some, some awesome opportunities that maybe this will be a way for you to, to participate. But we also want you to be prepared to just respond as God's Spirit leads you. So maybe it is going to be that slowly and surely you're kind of putting, you're skipping things, you're putting some money aside, and then you find out, hey, our neighbor had surgery. We should provide meals. Well, we've got some money in the skip chart. Let's go grab that. Let's put it together. Let's go get some meals for them. Or whatever it might be. The point is this. It will be interesting. I think what you'll find is this. Put this in a, in a safe, prominent place for your, in your household. Take one per household. Put it in a place. What it will do is it will make you mindful. It'll make you mindful and prepared that when God's Spirit prompts you, you're ready to respond. I thought about this a little bit. I, I, I didn't tell my wife this. She's, I, I hope you're okay, Kimber. But I thought, you know, we set up um, in, in our bank system, we set up a, like a savings account for vacation. And I thought it's interesting. Like we have had no problem every month kind of setting a little bit aside so that we can have a, a good family vacation. That's loving myself, Right. I've made a sacrifice every month, something I can do without, so that at the end of the year we can have a really nice vacation and really uh, create some memories. And I thought, if I am to love my neighbor like I love myself, am I willing to set up a savings account 
where every month I would set some money aside. I don't know how God will use it, but when God speaks into my life, hey, Tim and Cody Gauchi are going to go on a, they're going to leave as, as missionaries. They need some startup costs. Would you be willing to help them out? Yeah, you know what? I'm ready for that. I've been setting money aside for that. But think about what it will do, just the posture of your life to be able to create some ways in which you say, I'm going to be ready. I know it cost me something, so I want to be ready. Creating margin of time, of energy. And the hardest thing for a lot of us sometimes is we're just, we don't have any margin for interruption, do we? We have no, no space in our life that when we know it's time to, to respond to loving our neighbor, we're just so tired, we're so worn out because we've moved our lives all the way to the very end of the margin. There's no space there. There's no room for God to interrupt our lives and say, I need you to step in at this time in this situation. And if you do, I can, I can do something pretty awesome, but I need your help. So what happens when we start to prepare our lives this way? We just create this availability. Once again, it's a posture of life, as Michael was sharing to you. It's just setting this up. It's simply saying to God, open hands. Whatever I have is yours. Whatever you're asking for, it's yours. Whatever you want to provide, whatever you want to challenge me with, I'm re- I want to receive. I want to receive any challenge you have, and I want to, I want to respond to anything that you have. We want to have that, that posture. There you go. It will cost you something. Now, a lot of you are feeling really guilty. Stop, okay? The point of this isn't to make us feel guilty. Because you've got to look at the story. You've got to see one very, very, very important piece of the story, or you'll never be able to do this. The, the easiest thing is to look at this passage and go, there's just no way. This requires way too much strength, way too much willpower, way too much of something that's beyond me. And Jesus, in essence, is saying, you're right. Notice one of the unique things Jesus says. This is one of the things I think uh, we miss a lot. So notice one of the unique things Jesus does in the story. Notice where he's placing the expert of the law in the story. He's not the guy on the saddle so much as he's the guy on the ground. He's the guy bleeding out. He's the guy suffering. He's asking the question about who do you, who's, who's the one that comes along and provides the help to you? And Jesus puts him on the road. And he puts the hated Samaritan in the saddle. And he's asking, in essence, this question, what if you were on the road? What if you were on the road and the only only hope you had was an act of free grace, an act of radical neighbor love? What if someone who owes you nothing came along and gave you what you needed? What if you were the one bleeding out? Notice what Jesus is ultimately trying to do. He's trying to put us in that place where we recognize, in essence, the beauty of the gospel. See, if you and I can step back and recognize that's me on the road. That was me on the road. And Jesus, you came along when I, I really was your enemy. I was in rebellion to you. You owed me nothing. But you got off your donkey. You came down and you knelt beside me and you bandaged my wounds and you cleansed me. And you took me on yourself. And at your expense, you've cared for me. See, this brings us to the last thing I want you to see 
it's probably the most significant thing that will help you live this out. And it's this. We will never give undeserved grace until you have experienced undeserved grace. When you experience the true gospel of the neighboring love of Jesus Christ, what he's done for you, then you will be able to become a true neighbor to others. But until you see yourself lying there on the side of the road, until you recognize that that was the God of heaven who came, he didn't send someone else who came himself. He came when I was dying there. And he got off his donkey and he he knelt beside me. And he grabbed my head and he stroked my head and he said, I'm here. And he bandaged my wounds and he picked me up and he cared for me. Until you see yourself like that, until you let that transform your heart, this will be a list of dues. You will kind of live your whole life trying to love people enough to hope that you merit eternal life, that you've done enough good things. Man, what a, what a terrible way to live. What a scary way to live. When will you have done enough? When will you have loved enough that you have somehow earned eternal life? Think of the question he asked. How do I inherit eternal life? You know how you inherit something? Someone gives it to you. You don't, you don't do something to earn it. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're family. How do we inherit eternal life? We receive the grace of God into our lives. We, we allow him to love us and bring us into his family. And when you allow the grace of God to transform your heart, when you, you allow him to love you with that undeserved love, you will not be able to really control the unique transformation of your heart. See, you will begin to see this world the same way that God saw you. So when you see your neighbor in need, you will see them and you'll say, you know what, just as Christ came to me and loved me and cared for me and picked me up, I can love that person. If you try to do this in your own strength and your own willpower, you will fail miserably. But if you allow the love of God to transform your heart, you allow him to pick you up and to go with him, you will find that this love transforms who you are. And so this morning, I want to invite you to that. I want us to pray for a second. I want to invite you to bow together. And I want us to begin uh, this, just this moment to pray with this thought. Maybe the, the first thing you need to think of is, maybe the first thing, the first part of this, this moment of prayer just need, simply needs to be thank you. Lord, thank you. I, I, I forget to thank you that I was on the ground, bleeding, dying, and you came to me. I was your enemy. I was in rebellion to you, but you came to me. And let me just say in the quiet of this moment, if you've never received that love in your life, you've never responded to that love in your life, that this morning you'd simply open your heart and say, Jesus, I don't deserve your care, your salvation, your forgiveness, but I, I, I feel you right now. I can almost feel your hand on me saying to me, I'm here for you. And in the quiet of this moment, Lord Jesus, today I say, take me into your care. Take me into your life. I admit 
I'm a sinner. I've been in rebellion to you. There's nothing I can do to earn your love. And I'm amazed that you'd even be here calling me to yourself. But I receive this gift of love, this gift of acceptance, this call to be your own. Today I say yes to that. Let me encourage you, if that's where your heart is at this morning, and today this is, this is the day where you want to say, I, I, I receive the salvation of God. I just want you for yourself to kind of be able to mark this line in the sand and know it in your heart and know this is where you're going from this day forward to live in that life, to live in that love. Here's what I want you to do. Just in the quiet and the dark, kind of the, the simplicity of this room, just put your hand in the air just as a sign to yourself that that's my prayer this morning to say that's what I want. Thank you, thank you. So I can pray for you. Lord, as you see these hands go up, there are many who just recognize uh, their need of your life. And from this moment on, as you bandage their wounds, as you cleanse their wounds, as you uh, bring them to to fullness and uh, of healing, of life, and uh, your salvation that not only happens in this moment, but the, the saving work, the transforming work you will do from this moment on until that day of glory. Would you just do something very special in this time? That they recognize that today is a very special day of their life with you. For the rest of us, let's just take a moment. Maybe wherever you feel it's hard to love your neighbor. Maybe you feel the invitation of God lately. He's been calling you to to reach out and love to someone or someone's. And it's been hard for you. Would you just admit that openly and just ask for his strength? In a moment, uh, the team will lead us in worship. And let's just try to connect prayerfully. Let these songs be our prayers as we close our service. Uh, So take a moment to pray. And then we'll, we'll close with a couple songs.